Poetry on Air with Sheboygan Poet Laureate Lisa Vihos. Hi, I'm Lisa Vihos, and this is Poetry on Air, a program of Mead Public Library in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, in which we explore poetry and the meaning, inspiration, and healing it brings to our lives. My guest today is Scott Allen Schmidt. Scott is an Afro-Bahamian, Irish-American writer, poet, actor, lyricist, former rock and roll frontman, construction recruiter, and wayward son of a Northwoods preacher. <laughs> His writing can be found in Stoneboat Literary Journal and in the book From Everywhere a Little, a migration anthology from Water's Edge Press. Welcome, Scott. Thanks for having me, Lisa. It's great to see you. It's good to see you, too. And I know you brought some poems today that have inspired you. I always like to start out with what's been inspiring. So um, give us your first poem. I think it might be something from the old bard, William Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. Willie, <laughs> Willie Shakes. Let's, he, let's hear it. So, so this, is, this is my absolute favorite piece by him. It's, it's, it's the 44th sonnet. If the dull substance of my flesh were thought... Injurious distance should not stop my way, for then, despite of space, I would be brought from limits far remote where thou dost stay. No matter then, although my foot did stand upon the farthest earth removed from thee, for nimble thought can jump both sea and land, and soon as thank the place where he would be. But ah, thought kills me that I am not thought, to leap large lengths of miles when thou art gone, but that so much of earth and water wrought I must attend time's leisure with my moan. Receiving naught by elements so slow, but heavy tears, badges of either's woe. Ah, Bill. <laughs> that's a great one. The first great rock lyricist. Oh, that's awesome. I think he's a rock star. I tried to read it out loud myself, and I got all tongue-tied. It's a little hard to read. I mean, it's you did a great job. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> when did you first uh, come across the sonnets of Shakespeare? When did this first come into your life? Uh, in high school. Yeah. I, I think the first time, right? Yeah. Um, and and I'm, I was I was drawn more to the sonnets than I was even to the plays, uh, mm -hmm. all of which are are, are fantastic. Uh, but the thing I loved about Shakespeare was I had no idea what he was saying, <laughs> but yet there's a rhyme and a meter to it that's that's so beautiful. It's true that just hearing it out yeah. loud alone, it sounds lovely. It's it's great to listen and to. And then if you really sit there and try to parse it out, you're like, oh thought I, okay something saying something about thought right. jumping right. and maybe i kind of understand right but right. Yeah. i know and you read it so beautifully yep. yeah <laughs> and the, yeah the yeah the words themselves you know injurious distance uh, i love that should not stop my way if the dull substance of my flesh were thought that's a beautiful that is thing to think about in and of itself if we could just jump uh, at the snap of a finger right or, or a thought, as our right. mind moves us yep. so we go yeah so, yeah oh thank you you're Thank welcome. you for bringing that one. Oh, thanks um, for having me. We uh, we can we're going to jump to a very different poet, more contemporary. <laughs> I think uh, you brought something by Marianne Williamson. I did. Let's hear this I one. I did. Um, this is a very well known poem uh, called "Our Deepest Fear" um, by Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, 
gorgeous, talented, fabulous. Actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. You're playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightening about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Mm. Inspiring. Incredibly. Yeah. So what about this one? How, how did you come upon this poem, Our Deepest Fear? I think I heard the first a couple of stanzas uh, recited in a movie, and I can't remember what oh. the movie was. Okay. But having heard it, then searched it out. And, yeah. Um, I, I love the, the idea of not, you know, not shrinking so that others mm. feel insecure. Just, just be who you are. Let the light that you have shine. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's a powerful, it's an it's incredibly powerful statement that more people probably need to hear. It is. It's true. And um, did you find it to be something that at some point you yourself needed to hear? Like, was it something that when you heard it, did you say, oh, I need that? Or was it more like, I want to share this with other people? Or was it, it both? I think it was both. Initially, it was more more of, I, I just wanted, I wanted to get my hands on it and read it. Yeah. And then the thought that more people needed to hear it. But this is, this is a reoccurring mindset, I think, as you, as you go through life, right? Mm -hmm. You have, to, I think we have to remind ourselves, mm -hmm. maybe even sometimes on a daily basis, um, that God does resi reside within us, mm -hmm. within every single one of us, right? Yeah. Within all creation all around us. And, right. and I think that, um, that power and that light doesn't, uh, often get tapped into so mm -hmm. we shouldn't hide it should not hide it just be who you are or be afraid of it that's right yeah cool let the world see you awesome um what's the next poem that you brought the next poem is i think a pretty well-known poem um by uh, a poet author uh, called named Oriah Mountain Dreamer. Love that name. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty cool name. Mountain Dreamer. It's a I want to cool be name. that. <laughs> I do too. I think I, I dig that. Um, it's called the Invitation, and and what drew me to this poem was uh, to me this is this is akin to Howling at the Moon, right? Mm. It gives you that feeling of of uh, so uh, the Invitation by Oriah Mountain Dreamer. It doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know what you ache for. And if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's longing, it doesn't interest me how old you are. I want to know if you will risk looking like a fool for love, for your dream, for the adventure of being alive. It doesn't interest me what planets are squaring your moon. I want to know if you've touched the center of your own sorrow, if you've been opened by life's betrayals or have become shriveled and closed from fear of further pain. I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine or your own, without moving, to hide it, or fade it, or fix it. I want to know if you can be with joy, mine or your own, if you can dance with wildness and let the ecstasy fill you to the tips of your fingers and toes without cautioning us to be careful, be realistic, to remember the limitations of being human. It doesn't interest me if the story you're telling is true. I want to know if you can disappoint another to be true to yourself, if you can bear the accusation of betrayal and not betray your own soul. I want to know if you can be faithless and therefore be trustworthy. I want to know if you can see beauty 
even when it's not pretty every day, and if you can source your own life from its presence. I want to know if you can live with failure, yours and mine, and still stand on the edge of a lake and shout to the silver of the full moon, yes! It doesn't interest me to know where you live or how much money you have. I want to know if you can get up after the night of grief and despair, weary and bruised to the bone, and do what needs to be done for the children. It doesn't interest me who you are, how you came to be here. I want to know if you will stand in the center of the fire with me and not shrink back. It doesn't interest me where or what or with whom you have studied. I want to know what sustains you from the inside when all else fails away. I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you truly like the company you keep in the empty moments. Powerful. That's really powerful. I love the repetition of it doesn't interest me. You know, that each the stanzas keep starting out with it doesn't interest me. And then she tells you what doesn't interest her, but what does. I, I think that that's one very powerful aspect of it. Absolutely. The repetition. Absolutely. I'd love to see who, who she was speaking to uh, and how she switches from mine or your own to yours or mine. Yeah. Uh, back, she, she was back and forth with that. Uh, I love the, the the phrase, if you can dance with the wildness and let the ecstasy fill you to the tips of your fingers and toes without cautioning us to be careful, mm. be realistic, to remember the limitations of being human. Yeah. That's what we're faced with every, we're faced with that every day. I was going to say, she's really inviting us to do something and then, hey, it's called the invitation. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but she is, she's inviting us to, to stand up and be brave. And um, it's interesting because... I think I told you this. Um, a few years ago, I had started a program here at Mead Library called Poetic Pairings: How Poetry Speaks, which right. you participated in, and yeah. we're gonna we're gonna hear your poem from that in in a bit. But um, the pro the idea was to invite a community member to pick a poem that was meaningful to them, and then have a poet write a response. Right, and then we would present the pairings at a, at a reading, so that we usually have about ten. Well, this, this idea kind of drifted up to Manitowoc, and a friend up there, a poet, Jean Began, started the same thing at the Manitowoc Library. Nice. And then she invited me to be one of the responding poets. And lo and behold, the poem that I was given to respond to was an, The Invitation by That's Araya great. Mountain Dreamer. That's great. And so I thought, well, if Scott's going to read The Invitation, maybe I could read my response. Ooh, please do. Please do. <laughs> so, my response was call, is called The Call, in response to the invitation by Araya Mountain Dreamer. Being called to share my own heart's ache, I whisper now my longings and desires. I must respond, please help me stay awake. Neither young nor old, yet in my boots I quake to build a world not pulled by hidden wires. I am called to share my own heart's ache for those forgotten, stripped and caged, for those torn down, those lost in mire. Please, please help them stay awake. Let me face the loss, the pain, and all I take, for it must be returned to venture higher, as I am called to share my own heart's ache. I ache for this good earth and cannot erase the innocent and brave who struggle in the night. Together with them, you and I must stay awake. We stand now at the edge of a lake. 
we stand now at the center of a fire, being called to share my own heart's ache, the answer, we must always, always stay awake. That's beautiful. Thank you, Scott. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts when you were, when you were writing that. When I was writing it, yeah, I, I guess I looked back and, and kind of tried to pick some of the, the phrases that jumped out at me, like, um, like being at the edge of the lake or being in the fire. She, that she uses those, she says those things toward the end of the poem. But, um, you know, she starts out, it doesn't, in, I want to know if you can sit with pain. And that's where I got the mm-hmm. thing about the heart's ache. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was an interesting experience. It, it, writing a, a poem in response to another poem is a very interesting thing to do, it as is. you know. That's a great endeavor. I love it. It was so much fun to do that. Yeah, we're going to get to that next. Neat. So hang on, everybody. We're back with Poetry on Air. I'm Lisa Vijos, and my guest today is Scott Allen Schmidt. And we're going to hear some of your own work now, Scott. Can you... Can you start with um, my mind? I will. My mind. My mind is a riverbank sleeper just before the spring waters rise that doesn't wake me up in time to avoid the icy tide. My mind is helicopters and rescue boats and men shouting out my name, its teeth chattering and shivering so hard that I'm afraid my bones might break, and all because my mind lets me sleep by a riverbank. My mind is a broken-down bike, tied high up in a tree, to avoid being lost in the rushing waters. Its wheels, they spin and spin and spin, and never stop once to wonder why they even bother. They're up there searching for attraction that has long been out of reach, because my mind is a broken-down bike in a tree. My mind is a dented-up 40-ounce can, half-filled with warm liquid and held in my hand. And I hold on to that can with all that I've got because it's all that I've got. It has ties to all that I am and am not. Try to take it from me, I will kick, scream, and bite with a rage like the devil in the black of the night. I will fight you in the ways of a depraved and lonely man because my mind is a dented-up 40-ounce can. My mind. Is it my mind? If so, then why, in my own mind's eye, can my own mind and I not see eye to eye? My mind. My mind is a second-hand pair of old boots that can no longer hold the waters at bay. They fit like it might have been mine at one time, but even that's getting fuzzier each day. I'm tired of my feet getting wet. I'm tired of these voices messing with my head. I'm tired of not having food or a pillow or even a bed. I'm tired, riddled with holes and worn out from use. My mind is a second-hand pair of old boots. My mind, my mind, my mind is a riverbank sleeper. That's amazing. I I remember the first time I heard you read that poem, I was just like blown away. And again, today, you and you... It's just so strong, and I feel like I'm in the mind of that person 
having those experiences. I'm so happy to hear you say That's that. That's amazing. Well, and so this is what we were talking about. You wrote this poem as uh, a response for for poetic pairings. This was back in 2018. I did. And we had I remember sitting with you at Paradigm with the young man Caleb Cleansing and he had he had brought to the table uh, a poem by the poet Richard Wilbur called Mind. I didn't bring it with me. Figure people can look it up if they want to. Right. But what I remember, I, I did reread it. And do you remember how it was about, like, there was the metaphor of your of your mind being like a bat, like right. a bat was darting around yeah. in the brain. Yeah. And so what was it like when to write the poem for you? Well, do you remember? It was so long I, ago. I, I, do, I do. I remember. So initially it was, the, it's what struck me about mind was that I thought what I came away from it with was, was it was about the resilient resiliency of the mind, right? Mm-hmm. How, how we're able to bounce back and how it protects yes. us and how it does all those things. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that made me think of what's the opposite, right? What's the opposite side of that? What happens when the brain doesn't help us when it doesn't protect us? Mm-hmm. Actually, I had two, two family members at, at, at that particular moment in time that were both, uh, struggling with some form of mental illness. Okay. Uh, one, uh, on the Alzheimer side of things. Okay. Um, and, and another was, was, it was a whole different kind aspect of, of it, but <laughs> right, right. And then this story is actually, uh, his story. Okay. Um, a story that he told me about a situation he'd gotten into, uh-huh. uh, where he'd fallen asleep by, uh, by the river, by the Potomac and, uh, and the waters rose and he wasn't aware of it. And they actually had to, they had to airlift him out. And oh my so, so there was an actual story to go behind yeah. this. Well, it's very visceral, and you, you know, as you're reading it, you feel. I love that word. The feeling of. I like, I like, I like to be able to see, smell, taste, yes, feel my poetry. Yeah, it's it's you're very good at it. Well, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> um, let's. Uh, we've got two more, and they they both have a lot in them, so I think we should keep moving. Okay. If that's good with you, to take us to the next fine poem. With me. So the next poem is, um, and, and you heard my, um, you heard you heard my biography. I'm talking to the folks out there. Mm. Um, I, I'm I'm mixed race. Um, my father from the Bahamas, but I, but I was adopted. So I, I grew mm. up in a in a in a town in a place where there's zero diversity, right? So um, and I, I presented um, much. Uh, as much more ethnic as a as a younger person in in my younger years in my teens than I do as as an adult, right? So so there was there was a couple of challenges that went along with that. So that um, this this one is called the N word, and uh, I don't think I have to describe it. Nobody's at home scratching their heads wondering what that is. Um, and about the first time that I heard it, so the N word. I was six years old the first time I heard it. At a time in my life when color was something I connected with crayons and construction paper, blue for sky, green for grass, yellow for the sun, and maybe, just maybe, I would draw myself in brown and my parents in white, not because I knew we were different, just because we were. So when I heard it the first time at six years old, I didn't know what it meant, but I knew who it was meant for, and I felt what it was meant to do. In the same way, I figured out my first playground fight started over a, a kickball or a swing or maybe simply because I was the new kid. So when that first awkwardly aimed fist was thrown in my direction, I just watched it land on my cheek because, hey, my father wasn't a fighter. How would I know what to do? I even watched the second and the third, too. But in the end, I didn't need to understand why to know that it hurt the first time it landed. <laughs> 
Got my ass whooped in that comical elementary school way, just boys trying to emulate men. Got it whooped the second and the third time, too, until I figured out I was strong enough to stand my ground. Yet this wasn't a fist. It was just a word. Just one little word. Insubstantial, really. Two tiny syllables strung together. Not so much thrown like a stone or most insults. More like shot from a crossbow in a prepubescent form, the shape of a snarl rife with teeth. I walked by myself as those crossbow shots volleyed, bouncing off thick brick walls and merry-go-rounds, skipping over hopscotch grids and sliding down slides, heart-seeking missiles that rarely missed their mark. And I didn't find out until much later in life that men will always be just boys trying to emulate men, and that the bruises you get on your flesh fade much faster than the ones you get on your spirit. Yes, I remember the first time I heard it. I was six years old. So powerful. Hmm. When did, how old were you when you wrote the poem? I was, this is very cathartic for me. I was, uh, I think I was 40, 41. Okay. Probably when I wrote this. So it took a long time. Yeah. A lot of the poetry that I write is, is extremely, it's, it's very cathartic to me. It's, yeah. it's about experiences. And I think a lot of people write like that, right? It's about sure. experiences you've gone through and yep. figuring out a way to express them and mm-hmm. putting them on paper helps you resolve mm-hmm. things and, and grow yeah. as a, grow as a human being, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I love how in, it starts out in the beginning with this kind of innocence, blue for the sky, green for grass, like colors were just these different things. And then, right. and then having this, this strange rude awakening that you know something was said to you uh and that you you didn't you know it was like you knew what it was meant you said it you say i knew what it was meant to do right it was meant to be hurtful right and you knew that i mean again you have this great way of taking the listener or the reader right into the into the scene into the moment of what's happening you've got a, a very good knack for that sir thank you um Thank you. That, yeah. That, uh, no, it's that's it's, great to hear. That's beautiful. It's interesting because you write something and you hope that you hope that that's the that it, it, end result, it right? People, yeah. But you just never know until yeah. until you share it with somebody. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really good job. Um, and and this and that the bruises you get on your flesh fade much faster than the ones you get on your spirit. Right. Those are the ones we carry that's around. That's a powerful <laughs> line. They? Yeah. The ones we carry around and we have to learn how to how to heal them. How to heal them, exactly. Yeah. Um and you mentioned did you find that when you wrote lyrics, was it a different experience than writing poetry? You wrote you've written a lot of song lyrics. I have. So with Benson Clemmy, um, yeah. I know we copyrighted probably about three dozen songs. Okay. So and, and we probably had another 10 or 15 laying around somewhere that, that never saw the light of day. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, songwriting's a little bit different because I feel like there's there's a, there's a few more rules that you have to abide by okay. in order for, uh, for for lyrics to... To work. Yeah. So, you know, okay. you do verse and chorus and yeah. you, know, you, throw, you throw a segue or a bridge in there and then mm. you're back. So, so there's a little more constraint with that. Yeah. And it forces you, though, to be very concise yeah. um, and, and to the point. Uh, what I like about poetry, it, it allows you to explore those places that hmm. aren't confined by a rhythm or a beat, right? Okay. Even though it makes use of rhythm mm-hmm. and beat, it's like it's not as constrictive or something. It, you can venture out and in and out of it a little Absolutely. bit more. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Absolutely. 
Well, the next poem, um, I wondered it to me, it had a little bit of a lyrics feeling this next one that I, you're going to, I'm read. glad to hear you say that too. Okay. <laughs> I'm right. I'm just like, right. Zoom you zeroed are. in. You absolutely okay. Are. Let's hear the next one. <laughs> All right. This one's called the long road home. It's a long road. It's a long road home. It's a long road home and I'm on it. I'm on it though. I've never really liked it. I've never really liked it because of where it takes me. I've never really liked it because it takes me home. It's a windy day. It's a gray, windy day. It's a gray, windy day, and I'm driving. I'm driving, so I do what drivers do. I push the pedal and point the car. I point the car and I push the pedal, but it's a windy day. It's a windy day, and I struggle. Because although the car should just go in the direction I point it, it doesn't. It pulls to the right and pulls to the left. It pulls to the left and pulls to the right, over and over, as if shaking its head, no, 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 no. Even this machine, even this machine whose sole purpose is to take me to and fro, even this machine which has no soul, so couldn't care less which way we go, says no, 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 no. It's a long road. It's a long road home. It's a long road home and it's flanked on either side by fields and pastures, endless fields and pastures filled with cows and horses and crops and rocks and trees and trees and trees and trees, straight trees and bent trees, colorful trees and dead brown trees, trees that are full and flourishing and trees that aren't much more than sticks with a bunch of smaller sticks sticking out of them. These trees stand in and around and between the fields and pastures. They are filled with acorns and blossoms and pine cones and secrets and treasures, secrets and treasures, more secrets than treasures, more trees. Henry David Thoreau said, you could live for years next door to a big pine tree and be honored to have so venerable a neighbor. Yet I have, and I found it to be much less cool than he, but that's just me. Trees and trees and trees. And like this long road, the trees, the trees lead. The trees lead to nowhere. The trees lead to nowhere. The trees lead home. It's a long road. It's a long road home. And I know that if I keep pointing this car in the direction I am, I'll get to the point on this long road at which I start to feel like I'm trapped. Trapped in this car, trapped on this highway, trapped between two white lines, trapped between fields and pastures and horses and cows and crops and rocks and trees and trees and trees and trees and, trees and trapped. Even the phrase going back leaves me feeling trapped because going back does not mean going forward. Going back means there is no going forward. Going back means you've gone forward and yet chosen for some reason that you can't explain to go back. Trapped. To the point that I, once again, as with every time since I've left here, have to fight the urge to run. Run, 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 run. Because it was a long road. It was a long road away. It was a long road away, but it's an even longer road home. Wow. So interestingly, I wrote this on the, on a drive home. Okay. Um, just repeating the lines over and over in my head. Yeah. Um, and what the backdrop for it was, you know, the lines in the concrete mm -hmm. as you're driving and you mm -hmm. can hear the tires going tick. Tick, oh, yeah. tick, tick, 
tick, that was tick, your rhythm. tick. So that rhythm ended up being the backbone yeah. for, for this poem. Yeah. Well, I love all the repetition. It's, it becomes very powerful and trees and trees and trees. Uh, it's just, I love it. And, uh, you're, you're a master of that, you know? So I appreciate that. I really appreciate your poetry so much. Um, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's yeah. Oh, I want people to know I, yeah. I have great memories of where I grew up too. <laughs> Going home is not only horrible. <laughs> and, and you go through this process, this evolution, mm -hmm. right? At 18, you can't wait. It's a small town that I grew up in of, mm -hmm. you know, maybe 150 people. And That's I small. graduated in a high school of, you know, 200 total people. So, right. you know, 55 in class. And it was, that was drawn from a geographical circle of, you know, probably a 20 mile radius. Right. Yeah. Um, you can't wait to get out, right? Small town. I'm going to get out. And I'm going to, um, and, and then there's things that, that you, that you hold mm -hmm. and, and you see the town differently. Can't, you know, when you finally get out, you don't mm -hmm. think much about it, but as you get older mm -hmm. and you're able to process a lot of this, um, with a little more wisdom, right? Um, and then, then all of, then all the, the good things start to surface as well. So I've got great memories of where I grew up. I just, I don't want people to think that <laughs> based off of what you I read need, today. You'll need the an, the antithesis poem of I, I need to the good one. things. Yes, I do. Well, when we'll have you back. <laughs> Excellent. I'd love to. Yeah, it's been great to have you on the show today, Scott. Thank you for sharing your words with us. It's been great to be here. Thank you. And thank you, listener, for joining us. If you have any ideas for the show, please reach out to me at poetlaureatesheboygan at gmail.com and join us again next time for Poetry on Air. You have been listening to Poetry on Air, hosted by Sheboygan's Poet Laureate, Lisa Vihos. Questions or comments can be directed to Lisa at poetlaureatesheboygan at gmail.com. Poetry on Air is produced in the studios at Mead Public Library in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. More information on the web at meadpl.org.